0: Welcome back to the MarTech
1: Podcast. Okay, welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to learn about some of the skills accumulated and the lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is Michael Grasswich, who recently took the VP of Marketing role at Taft Clothing, which is a direct-to-consumer, digitally native men's footwear brand focused on delivering unique products and exceptional customer service. Prior to his role at Taft, Michael also worked at a handful of consumer product companies, including Nest and one of my personal favorites, Taylor Stitch. Here's our interview with Michael Grasswich from Taft Clothing. Michael, welcome to the Martech podcast. Ben, thanks so much for having me. It's pretty cool to be on here. It's exciting to have you here. And I want to tell you, I just did a little research in advance of this podcast. I bought a pair of boots from Taft and they're like a warm hug for my feet. They're fantastic. I love the product
2: hey, we can't pay for that sort of adversarial right there. So um, yeah, you know, I've gotten pretty lucky in my career with the brands that have given me a chance.
1: Just for the record, Taft has not paid me anything to speak fondly of their products. I (laughs) genuinely like the shoes and I wore them yesterday. So if anybody's looking for boots, was it taftclothing.com?
2: Taftclothing.com.
1: Yeah. Awesome. All right.
2: I'll give a discount code at some point in time in
1: the show. Cool. So I don't want to spend the entire time singing the praises of Taft. I want to learn a little bit about you and your marketing career. Let's start off by you telling us a little bit about how you got into marketing.
2: Well, I played online poker. (laughs) It's always a good way to start a conversation, right? I played online poker professionally in college and I graduated in 2009. So it was basically the Great Depression too, and I had made more than enough money to pay for school, didn't really have to get a job. And long story short, me and my good pal, we ended up moving to Costa Rica, and we started the first live online poker training academy. So at the time, I just saw there were a lot of online sites that you could sign up for and pay for coaching. But in the same way, I think going to school kind of gives you... Some people just learn material in different ways we thought, hey, we'll try to open up a poker school. And why that led to marketing is we had a decent amount of students come through, but I learned I wasn't the greatest businessman. There's a lot of things I didn't understand. But one thing I really enjoyed was seeing the business scale. And at that time, we were using bootstrapped online marketing approaches. And man, if I only knew what I knew now then. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it just seemed like something that was really interesting. People were using the internet. People were connecting in specific ways. And how can you kind of harness that for the brands that matter? So that's kind of what got me started down that path.
1: So before we get further into your marketing career, I have to ask, you made enough money playing online poker in college to not have to work when there was a recession, moved to Costa Rica, and had the assets to start a business. That's how all marketing careers start, right? No, no, that's, that's not how it works. How did you get so good at poker? Have you always had a great quantitative sense, or how does that work?
2: I was an econ and stat major at the University of Virginia. It was kind of interesting when I went to college, my parents basically told me if I got into UVA, I was smart and my life was set. And then I got into UVA and I went there and I was kind of bummed out because I was so tired of studying for tests and kind of regurgitating information that I didn't really know how it was going to be relevant to my life. And I took a game theory class and I was just like, whoa, it's like game theory, statistical world. I think I could make a couple of dollars and I'll have to keep asking my parents for money. And I wouldn't say I'm a statistical genius, (laughs) far from it by any means, but you could say I definitely have a quantitative mind. But the big thing in poker and I think in marketing, if I was to give like a one minute elevator pitch of what I think it takes to be really good marketers... You have to be curious and you have to know that data is not going to tell you the entire story and it's not going to give you the answer. A lot of the answers are going to be from your own personal experience and what you think and what you read and your decisions are going to get smarter. So it's kind of combining this, hey, I'm looking at this data. This is what I'm seeing happening to then the next step of saying like, okay, I'm going to think that this is why it happened. So therefore, in the future, I'm going to try X and Y. And if those things don't work, then you have to recalibrate your original assumption.
1: I think you're drawing an interesting differentiation between mathematics and marketing, where this is a gross overstatement, but mathematics will give you the answers. Marketing is the practice of understanding what to do next once you have answers to the questions that you're going after. And I think that there's a big difference there. So let's talk about how you use that quantitative mindset that you harnessed playing poker you started a poker school and mentioned that that sort of flamed out where did you go after your stint in costa rica running the poker school
2: (laughs) i think i peaked too early then (laughs) so yeah i didn't want to be like 29 at an entry-level job i already spent two years after college kind of doing well but (laughs) just figuring out what i want to do with my life so i started at comscore as a client service uh, analyst, man, many moons ago. And I kind of went to Comscore. I mean, when I look back, I can make up the story that it was probably one of the best places to start a digital career. That would be a complete fabrication, though. (laughs) I got the job at Comscore because I had a couple really smart friends that worked and I was familiar enough with Google Analytics and kind of ad serving that if I understood the basics, then that was really kind of like my best bet from poker, because most of the time when I'd walk into an interview and say I played poker professionally, they'd look at me like I was speaking a foreign language. So it just kind of worked out that that started me on my digital path. So at comms core, I was on the pharmaceutical team. So it wasn't the most interesting work. It really polished me to understand the ecosystem of how digital works of where to put your budget, on how to see if your budget was successful or not, did it hit the main KPIs, key performance indicators, things of that nature. Then about a year and a half after I joined Comscore, one of my close friends who's also you should interview, he's great, his name's Nick, he works at LinkedIn now. He was one of the top engineers at Comscore and he went to this company called Social Code that was doing paid social ads. And this was before this was the thing to do. (laughs) We were making boxes on the side of Facebook and telling clients that if you put a red box around your image, your CTR will be up like 0.01%. But anyways, yeah. So he went to this company and was like, hey, man, you should join. Like, I think social marketing is going to be the next big thing. That wasn't even really a channel we talked about back then. But I interviewed there and there were nine people at the time and the team seemed really smart and I got to see that company grow to 120 before I went to grad school.
1: So before we get into why you transitioned into social code, I think it's interesting that you went from this very entrepreneurial, non-traditional background of being a poker player and then starting a business trying to do online education related to poker and you basically networked your way into an ad sales job. Talk to me about what the environment was like when you went from a non-traditional job to one that was at a larger company with a lot of resources, but also where you're not doing anything that's specifically entrepreneurial.
2: Oh boy, it was so different. I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize, and again, I think Steve Jobs said it best, and I hate quoting Steve Jobs and Anything. (laughs) It's got to be a good quote. (laughs) But you know, you can't connect the dots forward, but you can always connect the dots backwards. I think a lot of times in our careers, we'll feel stuck. We'll feel like this isn't the thing we're supposed to be doing. But if you don't pay your dues and you kind of realize the skills that you need to gain and that each thing is somewhat temporary, you probably won't get to the place you want to go. The comms score was way different than the entrepreneurial environment I went to and I followed thereafter. But it taught me a lot about discipline, about understanding a system, understanding the systems that go into digital advertising, how that works, how big clients were spending budgets. It wasn't necessarily an environment that I excelled in. <laughs> Sounds like you didn't like it. I wouldn't say I didn't like it, but I was coming off of playing poker for a living and I thought I was God's gift to the world. And then I was very humbled.
1: So you were in your early 20s. Yeah, I
2: was in my early 20s. <laughs> And I was very humbled by the fact that I wasn't God's gift to the world. And I was just kind of like making Excel and then moving that into PowerPoint. And I just remember thinking, how am I ever going to use this? Like the days felt long there. And again, I, wouldn't, I worked with a lot of really awesome, great people. Again, a theme to this is random networking. That got me my next job. But at the time, I wouldn't have told you that it would have been so valuable. But when I look back, it was extremely valuable because it set the foundation of knowledge I needed to succeed in this field.
1: If it makes you feel better, I had a similar experience early on in my career, and I actually was at eBay for seven years, and I learned an incredible amount. And the network at eBay was amazing. It's helped me start my consulting business. It's helped me reach guests for the MarTech podcast. It was transformational for my career. But at the end of the time while I was there, the thing that I struggled with was being at a big company and not being able to innovate and work on the projects that I wanted to. So I understand the difference between being at a great company and working on the things that you want to. So I don't think you have to feel bad about being in an environment that wasn't a perfect match for you. Understanding of what is the right fit for you happens over time. So I think that's probably something that a lot of people feel early on in their career. Yeah. And
2: how old were you, Ben, when you worked at eBay? Young, dumb, and drunk.
1: Yep. Well, hopefully you will change the world.
2: All the listeners will change the world. But a lot of that is going to take time. <laughs> and I think not forgetting about the people you work with and not seeing your job so much as like, this is what I'm tasked with and this is what I'm supposed to do, but seeing your job as like, you're around really smart people and you have the opportunity to make the most of it. You know, if I was to look back and give myself any advice, it would be when you're kind of stuck in those situations that. Everyone says it's a great company to work for, and you don't feel that way on the inside. You're probably doing a lot of that to yourself. And a lot of that's going to happen when you're younger, but those are pretty informative years. And the more you can really enjoy what you're doing and take the good out of it, the better you're going to be.
1: Yeah. The amount that I learned in that early stage of my career, and not just at eBay, at all the early stops in my career, I worked in sales, I worked at an agency. I worked at eBay, a large company. I learned tech. I learned sort of the foundation. But when I was early in my career, I was so hungry to get ahead and so impatient, which is just the nature of being young, that I didn't appreciate what I was getting out of the experience until now that I'm older, I really recognize what a great environment it was.
2: Sure. And just one last thing to round up the last segment. A big question on a lot of your listeners' minds might be do I do a startup? Do I do a big company first? There are no rules, but I really do think big to small is so much better because small is chaos. Small is you got to know what you're doing and then you got to learn what you don't know. And big helps you learn the right foundation to do that. If you're at a small company early on, yeah, you're going to have a lot more responsibility maybe, but you don't have the right foundation, I don't think, to be as effective as you hope you'd be. So if anyone's out there kind of deciding between the two, even if you're probably not like a big company, I do think it helps.
1: I hear what you're saying, and I think that it can work both ways. I think the other thing to think about when you're considering going from big to small is that you get to learn on the job, right? You are working at a big company. You have stability. You have other people that are around you that can teach you the ropes, and that's incredibly valuable. And also, the thing that I didn't appreciate is you get to build your network, and as you go along in your career, that's as valuable as the lessons that you've learned early on in your career from a technical perspective. I went big to small. I think some people have had success going the other way. I think it can work both ways, but there's something to be said for having the money and supervision and education to really learn skills. So let's talk a little bit more about that next step in your career. Talk to me about your role in the social ad platform.
2: So I was the ninth or the 12th, or I don't know, very early employee. And Social Code's CEO was Laura O'Shaughnessy. Her grandparents founded The Post and her dad was CEO of The Post. So it was kind of an interesting combination of big company money and startup mentality. But we kind of built a pipeline for a lot of media buying and then a lot of clients to advertise on social. And at the time, social advertising was not a channel you talked about. I mean, it was just kind of in its infancy. We're talking about 2011. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something that you had to be doing. You had to be on. At the beginning, I was buying fans for Pages. I was helping out Volkswagen, or I think our biggest client was Samsung at the time, get 100 million fans because they wanted to be past Apple or something. (laughs) And it was really lucky. I mean, it was right space, right time, Facebook IPO'd while I was there and I saw the team just grow exponentially, and I saw that all of a sudden, I'm 27 and I have a real skill. (laughs) I know how to advertise on a platform that not a lot of other people know how to advertise on. And a super smart team, again, the small company mentality that Ben and I talked about earlier, it's definitely growing. Man, it was a lot of long hours, and it wasn't necessarily, again, if you'd asked me why I was doing it and you ask me now, probably get two different stories. But I learned a valuable skill that I could use. And one of my biggest questions that led me to grad school and kind of down the path that I feel like when my career really started, everyone was just kind of like, what's my CTR? How many fans did I get? How much does it cost per fan? And no one was asking these metrics about like, who are my fans? Do they actually purchase from me? Did I run a campaign in a way that made sense on the platform? The way people consume information on Facebook is different than the way they consume information from their TV. It's different from the way they consume information from really the internet. And there's social media, (laughs) but there's a social component there. And these brands are just kind of running the same campaign they're running on TV, on social. And I just wanted to ask the question, why? And I wanted to take some time to try to learn that. So that's where Ben, you've talked with Tim, and Tim and I met at grad school, but I went and I got my creative MBA because I just felt like there was this big, weird, wild world of creativity that isn't on the balance sheet, isn't on the marketing budget. It's thought about, and it's how do you start thinking creatively?
1: You bring up an interesting point where you mentioned that you have a quantitative background. You went from being an online poker player to getting into digital advertising. You sort of stumbled upon the social networking, advertising, sort of the rise of Facebook, right place, right time. And then you made the departure to go into study creative. Now, when you studied creative, were you trying to understand more about consumer behavior or really about communication with graphics, not language?
2: I also wanted to understand business too. So my program was called Creative Brand Management. Shout out to the VCU Brand Center. I feel like my career changed heads and tails when I went there. But again, I was kind of a hotshot coming in thinking that I knew everything about marketing and most brands did it wrong. And I came in and I realized I didn't know nearly what I thought I knew. And what most brands do isn't as bad as I thought it was. So I think if you're not being humbled in your career, you may not be learning it as much as you think you are. But yeah, the brand center the track is called creative brand management and it's really trying to merge this idea of like how do you solve business problems creatively. So it's not so much I went into graphic design and like I'm a fully stacked designer, like I can design front end, back end. No, no way. I still can't even draw a stick figure. But what I did learn is how to think about the customer, how to think about the business and how to think about the brand and have all of them meet at a place that makes sense.
1: So really, your track was less about creative. You weren't studying to be a designer. You were learning brand development. Yes, 100%. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X.co. Okay, so you spend some time in grad school. You're focusing, studying on brand. You're learning some more practical business skills. You got to hit the career reset button. Which direction did you head once you had left grad school?
2: So I worked at Nest in between my first and second year as an MBA intern. And I went to the company that you said you love, Taylor Stitch, after grad school. And it was a pretty big risk for me because at the time, Taylor Stitch, I was, again, maybe the ninth or tenth employee. Revenues were not nearly what they are today. I had met the founders. I didn't know anything about apparel. And I just thought it was cool. And they were like, we're trying to grow this direct-to-consumer e-commerce thing. And I remember asking them, well, how are you going to do it? And I remember them telling me, and I remember saying, I think I can help. (laughs) (laughs) I think there might be a better way to do that.
1: When you're trying to sell something, this is one of the lessons that I've learned from a few people along the way, specifically listen Witherell, who I've interviewed for this podcast, who is a sales consultant. The words you just said, I think are incredibly important. I think I can help. And just, I want to restate them. If you want someone to buy something from you or hire you, I think I can help. Just remember those as keywords.
2: Having said that, it's like, you don't want to say, you know how to solve the problem. You don't want to say, you know, everything, but I just looked at and heard what they said. And it's like, oh, I can apply my skill in a way that will hopefully help them. And I came in and that's kind of where it all clicked. Taylor Stitch grew some 400% in three years. We didn't take on any funding. So all of it was bootstrapped, which meant it was incredibly hard to do that. And I had to be very kind of dialed in with the resources we were using. And I got a chance to actually prove myself. It was really the first time in my career where someone just handed me something and said, whatever you do, just do it and have it work.
1: So talk to me about what the strategy was. Obviously, you're new in the apparel category. Taylor Stitch has a vision of what they're trying to build. And what was their vision? And how did you apply marketing principles to help them achieve it?
2: So one of the co-founders is the creative director. And what Taylor Stitch does extremely well is, I mean, they build a great product, which I didn't know when I joined. But what I did know was the branding was very creatively dialed in from the way the images were shot, the way copy was conveyed. We just had these loyal brand advocates from Reddit to Styleform to both of these fashion communities that like loved Taylor Stitch. And I became really close with our head of product or with Taylor Stitch's head of product now, Nick Kemp. And I remember he would just come over to me and be so passionate about what he just created from clothes. And This fabric came from World War II and Zonk was first used because it was the lightest. Here's an encyclopedia. And it was really cool to be able to take something that somebody made that you really respect and value and try to convey that to consumers who you get 10, 15 seconds at most.
1: So the company has a great visual tone. Right. It sounds like the brand identity and the assets they're creating to tell their story, as you mentioned, were dialed in. How did you get that message across to consumers?
2: Through a lot of trial and error, there were two things I had to wrap my head around. One was the business economic side. So how do I know when I'm spending money that the company's not going broke? So I linked up with a bunch of people that I felt were really smart and I said, please help me. (laughs) And you'll be amazed at how many people actually want to help you, want to give back, want to see other people succeed. I think a lot of people are afraid to ask. If you're going to ask someone, ask them a question that they can answer within two minutes. It shows you've done your homework and it shows you value their time. Don't just say you want to pick their brain and grab coffee. People are busy. But I think if you do your homework and it shows that you're smart and you give them something that they can answer within one minute they'll usually answer and say, hey, let's meet up too. Or if you have any questions, here's my number. So I think you know being respectful of other people, but also realizing that these were the things I needed to know, who's going to know them, and reaching out was super beneficial. So there's that one side, and then there's the other side of creatively, how do you execute that? So coming from the world of running paid campaigns, I was able to set all those up myself and complete the feedback loop.
1: So talk to me a little bit more tactically about tailor stitch where you're in an apparel brand for the first time it's a new industry to you the company has a strong brand identity and you've got a network that will help you solve the problems that you're trying to solve for tactically in terms of channel mix in terms of tests and learning how did you actually drive growth was it all just paid social and retargeting or all blogs talk to me a little bit about what the apparel industry is like
2: I think the thing you need if you're a marketer and you're getting into the e-com world and you're getting in on the smaller side of the business, one thing the you need to look at is you got to get people to the site. And if people aren't coming to the site, then you can do everything in the world well, but it's not going to matter. So the first thing was, how do we get more people to the site? And then tactically speaking, when you're at that size, do one thing and do it really well. You can hear all these best practices. You could hear that paid social is tapped out. Instagram was so... 2013.
1: Is Instagram over? I thought Instagram just got here. Uh, Instagram just got and Facebook's over.
2: Yeah. But in reality, nothing's over. It's just expensive. It's just expensive or technically harder. But if you spend the time and that's an area of expertise for you or for the business or you're gaining traction on that angle, then that's something you should run with. Glossier, which is a company I really look up to, it all came out of a blog called Into the Gloss that their CEO set up 4 years before she came up with the idea of Glossier. So blogging may not work for everyone, but blogging could work for you. (laughs) I think this idea that you've got to find the silver bullet there's not really a silver bullet. There's just, hey, what are we good at now? Like For Taylor Stitch, we had really beautiful photos and really strong copy. And so social just led itself to being a great place for us because it meshed well with the strengths of the business. So you don't necessarily have to go out and get great photos or you should have good photos, but a lot of what you do depends on what your surroundings look like. So you need to figure out, hey, what is this business really good at? Because they're clearly a business, they're they're good at something. And then which channels make sense for that, at least in the early days. So it was all paid social for us, some website, UX redesign, where I worked with our UX designer. And then email became so, so important. I'll also give a non-paid shout out to Klaviyo. If you're in e-commerce marketing and you're not using Klaviyo, you're probably missing out. Email just became so huge for us. Transitioning into Taft is something that we're going to make an area of expertise, but was not necessarily an area of expertise for us up to this point. So, it's been interesting to look at the team, look at how we're functioning, and then try to say, okay, how do we get from point A to point B?
1: So, talk to me about the reason why you moved from Taylor Stitch, which was a very early stage company when you started, to a meaningfully sized one now. Why did you decide to move on and you went to another apparel company?
2: I've been at Taylor Stitch for what seemed like my entire life, but was three and a half years. And that's a really long time felt so like I was solving the same problem and I was ready to take on more responsibility and to try and solve different problems. Try and look at a business differently and was just lucky enough to sync up with the founder of Taft and be able to sit in the driver's seat for marketing, hire a team I'm hiring. So you know if that sounds interesting to anyone, but it was just this amazing opportunity where I could take everything I learned at Taylor Stitch, and apply it not only to marketing functions, but also really call a lot of the shots. Taft has a much more aggressive growth goal to hit. And I think it can be a much bigger brand. And it just was really exciting to me to come in again on the ground floor, which was a little bit higher than where I came in Taylor Stitch, and see if I could do it again.
1: So it sounds like a tailor stitch that you had responsibility and were doing a lot of channel management and execution. And the primary reason for moving to Taft was it's in the same industry. So you get to rely on your previous experience, but you get to level up and really run your show and dictate what the strategy is. Yes, 100%. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about the assets that are in the Taft brand. What are you excited about? And what are the channels that you think are going to be strong for you moving forward?
2: I'm super excited about the brand, the product. I think what Corey creates is just so different than anything else out there on the market. It's been really interesting because my friends who have reached out who wear Tafts are just have part of the brand, really run the spectrum of different customer psychographics. We have a much more diverse customer range. And the exciting thing to me is how do you make a brand in today's day and age? Like, how do you really make the next Warby Parker? So, to be at a brand that I think could possibly be in on that conversation really excites me. And it comes down to from the product to like, is the marketing team synced up with the product pipeline? Are we all synced up on what we think makes sense as the team structured in a way to execute campaigns on a level that are better than what we could do before? Are we learning from our mistakes? So it's really exciting to be able, I think, to connect a lot of missing pieces that happen in a lot of companies. Because as you start to grow, you'll get divisions within that company that you didn't even know existed or should be a division. And over time, it gets really hard to bridge those gaps.
1: Yeah, it sounds like the opportunity to work at an executive level, to be a leader, even though it's at a small company, is the thing that you're most excited about. Obviously, there are great things about the company you're working for, but you're looking for executive experience. Yes. Okay. So talk to me about your long-term career vision. Taft, you just got there. You're excited to be the head of marketing and run your own show. Is there a career direction? Are you going to be an entrepreneur? Do you think you're going to be a CMO? Where do you head long-term?
2: I don't know because I never would have seen myself in apparel (laughs) and now a chunk of my actual career spans that. I think where the future leads is the more good people I work with and the more awesome people I can hire and build a great team, the more we gel together that kind of opens up doors to what's next and hopefully Taft becomes a household name and Everything works out swimmingly well here. And I don't know what would happen next. But for me, the main goal is to wake up and learn a little bit each day and be pretty happy at where you're at and what you're doing. And new jobs, it's easy to sort of have the honeymoon stage. But it's super exciting to me to learn executive skills, learn leadership skills, and to be building a brand that really is mine to screw up. (laughs) It's a great brand. I'm not having to convince people to buy a product. It's not necessarily unique and awesome and priced really competitively. So I don't know what the future holds. I just keep chugging along and, and trying to learn. And it seems to have worked out so far.
1: Great. Well, last question before we let you go. What advice do you have for the younger marketers looking back on your career, people that are just getting started? What words of wisdom can you impart on them?
2: Read a lot. Try to think of systems that work together the more you can understand the sort of baseline knowledge of why something operates this way, or you get down to the fundamentals of something, it's gonna be super helpful whether you become kind of like a specialist and you're a marketing analyst or you're a CMO or whatever else you are. If you're building upon the right foundation, you can go in either direction. And I think the people around you matter more than you care to believe. And you start to realize that later. If you ask a 24 year old what's the greatest thing about their job, they're rarely going to say the people around them. But then they'll look back and you'll realize how important that is. So the more you can think about that and train yourself to understand that, the more you will just grow with wherever you end up.
1: I think that's great advice. I think the patience that you're preaching and the understanding that the people and the relationships are as valuable as the title that you're achieving or that next promotion is great advice. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech podcast. Thanks to Michael Grasowicz from Taft Clothing for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Michael, you can click on his bio in our show notes. If you didn't have time to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry. We have a summary of this episode and a full transcript on our website, which you can find on the link in our show notes or by going to martechpod.com. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. If you have questions, comments, if you'd like to be on the show, click on the link in our show notes or you can also reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter. The company handle is BenJShap LLC and my personal handle is BenJShap. That's B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, got a bunch of great episodes lined up over the next few weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed next week. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.